Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to episode 12 of the Creative Writers Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. Today, I'm going to take a step back from the usual more technical discussions to talk about what I think are the three essential qualities that we have to cultivate in ourselves if we're going to be a good writer. So there won't be much specific writing advice in this episode, but I don't think you'll be able to apply any of the advice that you get from either this podcast or anywhere else unless you cultivate these qualities. And let me say up front, whatever I tell you today, I'm telling myself as well, because I need to remember all of this as much as anyone. So the first of those three qualities is perseverance. You need to know that as a writer, from the moment you even think about writing something, before you've even written one word, you will encounter resistance. And that will come in the form of all the other things in your life. Some of these will be important things like your partner, your family, your children, the day job that pays the bills and puts food on the table. But it'll also include things like the time you take off for good reasons, because sometimes you just need to take some time off to rest and recharge. And it will include the time that you're wasting, watching rubbish TV, or surfing the internet aimlessly, or playing that computer game during the time when you said you'd be doing some writing. And then when you do get down to writing, there'll be distractions. The phone will ring, or the space you are hoping for will be occupied or not right in some way. Something will try to fill the vacuum which you've carved out to do your writing. You will find that when you come to sit down and do your work, you're exhausted. Or you've had some kind of skirmish with a family member, or you've got problems at work. There'll always be something which seems to be spoiling your concentration. And you quickly learn as a writer that no one is going to make you write. Certainly when you start out. And no one's going to pay you for something that you haven't created. What can you do against such odds? Well, here's some advice from Agatha Christie the 20th century crime writer, she said this, write even when you don't want to, when you don't much like what you're writing, and when you aren't writing particularly well. And let's bear in mind, Agatha Christie is estimated to have sold at least 2 billion copies of her books. And the truth is that it's hard to write. It's hard to write if you're completely new and you've never sold anything, and it's hard to write if you're quite an expert and you've sold millions of copies. And when you do start to write, you're confronted by a blank sheet of paper, or more likely these days, a blank screen. Ernest Hemingway, who was one of the greatest authors of the 20th century, was asked what was the most frightening thing he had ever encountered, and he answered, a blank sheet of paper. And one anonymous writer commented that a blank page is God's way of showing you how hard it is to be God. And as writers, we must face the blank sheet of paper, or the blank screen, and start writing, and keep writing. And a writing routine can help here. Some writers find that first thing in the morning is the best time to write. The problem is, most writers have something else to do when they get up. Sort the kids out, go to work, get on with their life. So that means you have to get up before these things make demands of you, so that you can do your work. The Anglo-Irish author Gerald Brennan said this, It is by sitting down to write every morning that one becomes a writer. Those who do not do this remain amateurs. Now, I don't think it has to be mornings, because some people just aren't very good in the morning. Perhaps late at night would be better for you. But whatever you do, you have to carve out a routine for yourself. And being a writer is so hard that if you try it and find your heart is not in it, or if you find something else that you love doing, then stop writing and do that other thing instead. Because writing takes up so much time and so much energy, you'd be better off doing something else that's easier, like lion taming or something like that. Let's suppose you finish a manuscript and now you need to find a publisher. You're almost certainly bound to be rejected again and again by publishers and agents. 
Stories abound of writers having to cope with numerous rejection letters. When J.K. Rowling, then an unknown author, started to approach literary agents with her novel about a boy wizard, this was her experience. I wrote nearly every evening, then typed the whole thing out myself on an old manual typewriter, covered the first three chapters in a nice plastic folder, and sent them off to an agent. They were returned so fast, they must have been sent back the same day they arrived. But at the second attempt, Christopher Little wrote back, asking to see the rest of the manuscript. It was far and away the best letter I had ever received in my life, and it was only two sentences long. So J.K. Rowling found an agent on her second attempt, and actually that's really good going. And that agent, Christopher Little, then tried to sell the book to a publisher, and the agency received an alleged 9 or 12 rejections, depending on who you believe, before they took the manuscript to the publisher's Bloomsbury. Nigel Newton, the chairman of Bloomsbury, tells the story of how he took the manuscript home and gave it to his eight-year-old daughter. And this is what he says about his daughter's reaction. She came down from her room an hour later, glowing, saying, Dad, this is so much better than anything else. She nagged and nagged me in the following months, wanting to see what came next. So Newton made out a cheque to J.K. Rowling for £2,500 and told her to find a day job because she wouldn't make enough money out of Harry Potter to give up work. J.K. Rowling has sold between 400 and 450 million copies of the Harry Potter books and the whole brand is estimated to be valued at around $15 billion. So what's the record for some other authors? Well, here's the roll call of rejections for famous authors who went on to sell a few copies. Stephanie Mayer, author of the Twilight series, 14 rejections, current sales, about 120 million copies. Jan Martel, author of The Life of Pi, five rejections, ended up selling 7 million copies of his Man Booker Prize winning novel. Margaret Mitchell wrote Gone with the Wind. She had 38 rejection letters before she went on to sell 30 million copies of that book. Joseph Heller, author of Catch-22, 21 rejection letters, 10 million copies sold. Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen, with their title Chicken Soup for the Soul, 140 rejections, went on to sell 120 million copies. So we writers need to persevere all the way through the writing process. Perseverance, important though it is, is not enough. Let me tell you the story of Norman, the novice writer. His experience might be familiar to you. Once upon a time, there was a writer called Norman, and he secretly thought he might be able to write. He didn't think that what he wrote would necessarily be all that good, but he thought he'd have a go. So he started writing just a bit, now and again, when he could, in the cracks between everything else in life. And at first, he didn't show anybody what he was doing. And then he started to mention it to one or two people and maybe his mum had a look at his writing and his best friend and they quite liked it and they told him so. And he thought maybe it wasn't quite so bad after all. Not brilliant, but not too bad. So he carried on and he kept writing and he persevered. When he was tired, he still wrote. And when he was having a tough time with his with work or his family, he still managed to keep at it. And about halfway through his novel... He looked back and realised that he was actually writing something and that it was now at about 30 or 40,000 words and it wasn't that bad really. It needed work but one or two of the characters were okay and there were one or two twists in the plot that were almost clever. 
though he said so himself, and he carried on, and maybe shared some ideas with one or two other people, and got some of his work reviewed with a writer's group, or maybe something online, and some people understood what he was doing, and some didn't, and as he came to the climactic finish of his novel, he could see that it was really quite good. I mean, really pretty good, actually. And he was moved by his own writing, and he thought, you know what, this is actually pretty good stuff. And people asked him how his writing project was going, because he started to mention it a little bit more, and everyone was very encouraging and he started to talk more to people about it. He sent chapters to his mum and she thought it was very nice and his best friend still seemed to be interested in reading it although admittedly that best friend didn't have too much to say about it now and he grew very fond and very close to his precious manuscript. He'd spent a year on it. He'd put 500 hours or more into it. He had heard that you needed to persevere as a writer and so he had persevered. It had taken time and energy and it was his creation, his baby and he loved it. He really did. And he loved it partly because he thought it was good. Now, really, really good. Almost a masterpiece. He was going to rock the genre with this work. So then he did his research to find out who might publish it. And he spent 10 hours crafting a query letter. And he got the first three chapters together and edited them himself so that they absolutely hummed with brilliance. And he sent them off to a publisher. And his hands were shaking when he pressed the send button on the email. And all those precious attachments all went off and he had high hopes. And it got rejected. So he knew this was the way of it, and he sent it off to somewhere else, his precious manuscript that he'd worked so hard on, and it got rejected. So he sent it to a third place, and it got rejected. And he did this eight times before, somewhat disheartened now, as a birthday present, someone offered to pay to have the first three chapters of his work reviewed by a professional editor. Here, he thought, at last, would be someone who would appreciate his art. So he sent this part of his baby, his precious manuscript, off to the editor. And the editor picked out the very best features of it and said they were okay, not a bad effort. And then she ripped the rest of it apart. His baby, his precious creation that he'd spent time and effort on, it was a bloody mess of red ink and he was devastated. And at this point, we're close to finding out if Norman, the novice writer, has any of the second of the two qualities that are essential for an aspiring writer. Because here's the thing, Norman's friend who had paid for the editing had given him the best present he could get. That terrible editor with her terrible red pen was going to give him more help than his mum or his best friend or anyone else around him ever could. Because she has shown him where the bar really is. As a writer, your mum doesn't set the bar for you. Your best friend doesn't set the bar for you. All those people who wish you well and want to say nice things to you, they don't set the bar. The editor sets the bar. The market sets the bar. And in Norman's case, now he knew how far below the bar his work was, he had a choice. He could either give up, and maybe that would be the right decision for him if he really didn't want to carry on, if his heart wasn't in it or he was set on doing something else. Or he could decide that despite the pain and despite the fact that he was so upset about what had been done to his precious manuscript, he could decide that he needed to draw on the second of the three essential qualities a writer needs and that is humility and the trait that comes from it the will to swallow your pride and learn i've talked about the fact we need perseverance but we also need humility and i want to be clear here humility does not mean humiliating yourself or debasing yourself at all it means that you are prepared to strip away the emotional subjective attachment that you have developed for your work and learn learn from all kinds of people even when someone has killed your work even when you hate what they're saying, even when you're disheartened, 
learn from what they say sometimes you'll learn from from someone who you think is a lesser writer than yourself and sometimes when you think that you might even be right but it doesn't matter what matters is to learn and improve britain's wartime leader winston churchill said this the greatest lesson in life is to know that even fools are right sometimes you're not in competition with anyone else you're in competition with yourself in a contest to be a better writer Ernest Hemingway, who was certainly a man with an ego, said this, There is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is in being superior to your former self. And that's absolutely true advice for the writer. And that's the deal. Don't get upset. Get better at your craft. The author, J.M. Barry, said this, Life is a long lesson in humility. And what you're looking for is to gain an objective view of your work, an objective view of what you can do better, and then the determination to accept this reality and to engage with it. So our friend, Norman the Novice Writer, has a painful analysis of his work and he can choose either to reject that and run away from it or he can take it and scour that critique for objective advice and then apply it to his manuscript. And nobody really enjoys receiving criticism. Again, Winston Churchill, he said this, Criticism may not be agreeable, but it is necessary. It fulfills the same function as pain in the human body. It calls attention to an unhealthy state of things. And criticism of the work that we've worked hard on is painful. But if we can learn to benefit from it and learn to discern the objective advice within it and put it into practice, then we will improve both the manuscript we're working on and our own ability as writers. Norman Vincent Peale, the author of The Power of Positive Thinking, said this. The trouble with most of us is that we would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. If you want to be a good writer, you have to have the humility and the perseverance to be saved by criticism. So finally, before I move on to the third quality you need as a writer, I believe that you will be able to learn these lessons that much more easily if you remember this central truth. You have value. Your work has value. But you are more valuable than your work. I'm going to say that again. You have value and your work has value, but you are more valuable than your work. I don't care who you are or where you are or what your circumstances are. You are more valuable and separate from your work. And when we all learn that truth, we are released into the freedom of looking at our work honestly and setting about the task of improving it. For that, you need the third and final essential quality. You need to let your imagination roam free. So let's come to that third quality. I've talked about perseverance. I've talked about humility. I want to now talk about imagination. And it might be that we're able to relentlessly identify the shortcomings in our work. It might be that we have all the energy and determination we need to correct it. But our job as writers is even tougher because we need this one more ingredient. We need the discipline to exercise our imagination. And that's not just in creating elaborate plots. It's also to come up with intriguing characters, to conjure up compelling and believable settings, to capture the reader in the moment of the story, to combat the terrible plague of summarised, dull writing that we can all so easily be susceptible to, especially if we're in a kind of office job where writing business emails and dashing stuff off to other people is what we do all day. Stephen King said this, description begins in the writer's imagination but it should finish in the readers. And we can't afford to lose sight of the fact that if we're engaged in creative writing, we are entertaining and enthralling our reader. In his book Solutions for Writer, Sol Stein makes this point right at the beginning of the book. Our intention as writers is this, to provide the reader with an experience that is superior 
to the experiences the reader encounters in everyday life. To give you a slightly exaggerated example of what I'm talking about, consider these two pieces that I'm about to read out to you. They're from the science fiction genre, although the genre itself is irrelevant because the principle I'm talking about applies across all creative writing. The two pieces are essentially describing the same thing. A damaged spaceship and her captain thinking about an emergency landing. Here's the first piece. Captain Mullen worked the controls of the ship wearily and listened to the noise of the engine. It was damaged and the ship was losing power. What's our status? she said tiredly. The engine is damaged and we're going to fall out of orbit, said her engineer, who also looked weary. We'd better land, said Mullen. Have you ever been down to the planet? No, I haven't, said the engineer, with a worried tone in her voice. She didn't like the idea of landing on the planet. How's your inoculation? said Captain Mullen. I've had some of them, said the engineer. Well, you might feel ill, said Mullen, shaking her head, but let's hope they pick us up soon. No, it's no good. This is what happens when you run out of creative steam. Everything is flat, everything is summarised, there's a hideous outbreak of adverbs, and you end up telling everything and showing nothing. When we're in this sort of mood as a writer, we just try to get everything down, as if the main objective as writers was for us to convey some kind of information to the reader. It's just like dashing off a quick email to somebody, and it won't do. So instead, albeit with some slight exaggeration, let's try this. Captain Jessica Mullen closed her eyes and listened. The glyphs of the control console throbbed under her fingertips, and when she looked again, the symbols shone violet and red to represent the forces deployed around them. The bass hum around her modulated for just a moment. Her senior staff would have heard it as well, and like her, they would be calculating the rate of deterioration. It was a small thing, really, just a fracture in the cooling matrix of the portside xenon engine, but it would eventually force them to land, Either that or spin in a ragged anti-clockwise course until one of the Fendulin corvettes picked them off. Status, she heard herself say. 58% capacity, said her exo. Orbital degradation in 78 minutes. OK, we're going down. Have you ever been planet side, Lieutenant? I've seen the vids, but I've never been down there. How's your inoculation schedule? I'm graded as amber 6 for landfall activities. Emergencies only. The exo looked across at her captain. Well, said Mullen, you'll live, even if you think you're going to die. We better hope they pick up the distress beacon. Now that may or may not be great writing, but there is at least a bit of imagination in it. At least it has the potential to take the reader to a place where they can experience the story. Much more potential than that first passage. And again, I'd emphasise, you may not be interested in science fiction, it doesn't matter. The genre doesn't matter, the point does. You need to bring imagination and you need to have the discipline of imagination and bring that to your writing. If you are a writer, you can't get away with faking it. You have a duty to dream because your reader is expecting to dream. You are telling a story, not conveying information. And to do all of this successfully, you have to cultivate those three essential characteristics. Perseverance, humility and imagination. In this episode, I've quoted from numerous great men and women, including Winston Churchill, Agatha Christie, Stephen King, J.K. Rowling, J.M. Barry, Ernest Hemingway, Norman Vincent Peale. I've quoted also from the book Solutions for Writers by Sol Stein, published by Souvenir Press. In the next episode of the Creative Writers Toolbelt, I will return again to the subject of characterisation. In the meantime, listen out for the first in a series of episodes that I'm going to launch featuring conversations with writers, editors and storytellers. These Toolbelt Extras, as I'm calling them, will appear from time to time. And the first one is a conversation with the children's writer and storyteller, Bob Hartman. That will be out in a few days' time. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please do leave comments and constructive criticism. We're on Goodreads, where you can join the conversation at the Creative Writers Toolbelt group. I'm on Twitter at Writers Toolbelt. And you can email me. It's andrew 
at andrewjchamberlain.com. My thanks as ever to the guys at podcastthemes.com for providing the music. I'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.